welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. How are you doing this morning? It's been a minute. Uh, it's been four weeks since I've preached, and uh, it was a break that I needed. Actually, I didn't take a break from my work schedule, but just from preaching, because that always adds an extra layer in your week. And on Saturdays, believe it or not, even when you don't preach, it stays on you. And as you're playing with your kids, you're turning a point over in your head. And so I realized uh, after the season, uh, everything that's going on with Hala, getting the east side off the ground, being a father and a husband on top of all that, I think I OD'd on people. And was a little exhausted. And I didn't realize how tired I was until I didn't have to preach for four weeks. And just finally feeling like I've, I've caught my wind and ready to start swinging again. And of course, always as God does, as soon as I get back, back into the pulpit, what does he do? He gives me one of the toughest passages to navigate. I'm like, Lord, can we just start at the shallow end of the pool? Can we do something like John 3.16 or something like that? Not First Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. So obviously I got to get to the deep end of the pool. So I want to read with you real quick. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And y'all pray for me. Uh, verse 1. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives. And when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You are her daughters. If you do what is right, do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing, nothing will hinder your prayers. Jesus Help me make sense of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, uh, it was, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, Pastor Rick sat on a, on a panel with a bunch of other pastors from Portland, and they were on uh, NPR. And the moderator of this conversation asked these pastors, including Rick, uh, a question. And the question was, what are some of the real hot topics that you guys have to navigate between the church and culture? And you're in Portland. And so, you know, there's some real touchy passages that you have to be able to explain to be a good apologist in the culture. And I was surprised because Rick was the last to speak. The first was to speak. I won't name the pastor. He got up and said, well, some of the issues that we got to wrestle with in today's culture is the nature of worship, right? Contemporary or 
I was like, uh, no, that's not, <laughs> not really. <laughs> and then he was like, then he was like, and then communion is, you know, like, you know, uh, gluten or non-gluten or wine or grape juice. Or I'm like, no, nah, that's not really what we're wrestling with these days. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I just thought to myself that, that um, we... We hate passages like this. Uh, we struggle with these kinds of passages. And this is the beauty of the Bible, because the Bible doesn't do what we typically do with these passages. Either we try and navigate around them and don't talk about them, right? We kind of dance around these passages. Or we stop short of it, right? And don't fully want to address it. And the beauty of the Bible is, is that it doesn't go around these kinds of passages. It doesn't stop short of these kinds of passages. It drills right into it. It goes right into the bedrock and sedimentation of these kinds of issues and unpacks them for us. And so they're not always easy, and they leave a lot of tension. And I hope if you really get the gospel that you hear and sense and feel the tension in these passages, because no matter how you try and explain, I realize I'm not going to make everybody in this room happy. Period. So let the emailing begin. <laughs> but what I do want to say in this passage, I want to talk about what this passage isn't saying and what this passage is saying. One thing I want to say is, is that what it ain't saying is that this, this is not a, a universal claim on gender roles, believe it or not. This is not a universal claim on gender roles. So please do not take this passage this way, and I'll explain in the passage what I mean by that later. Two, he's not addressing all wives, but a particular type of wife that finds themselves in a certain kind of situation. So if you're looking at this as a gender role and a universal, unequivocal claim for every marriage in terms of how they navigate their roles with each other, this isn't the passage. And number two, wives, all right? This isn't speaking to every wife, but a wife that finds himself in this type of situation. Now, what is this situation? Because this is what the passage is actually addressing. Well, Rick and Leroy have done a phenomenal job, even though they got off the hook. They tackled some tough stuff, but they left the toughest one for me. But... But it's a continuation of what Pastor Rick had been preaching in 1 Peter chapter 2 and what Pastor Leroy was preaching in 1 uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. And the continuation is this. Remember, these are Gentile Christians, Gentile and Jewish Christians, who are trying to navigate their faith in a pagan culture. How do we, you know what I'm saying? They're not living in a religious community. They're living in a secular community. How do they navigate themselves? And so Pastor Rick talked about how do we navigate our faith in, in, in non-Christian pagan institutions. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. So it's believers navigating these institutions. How do you do it? And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, it's about believers navigating, in, uh, navigating their faith and their Christianity when you have a very harsh slave master or taskmaster or employer however you want to see it, right? And so here's Peter continuing that theme. How does believers, 
How do believers navigate human institutions that are pagan? How do believers navigate uh, people that are difficult to work for or slave masters that are unsaved and pagan? And now he says, how do wives navigate a marriage when their spouse is an unbeliever? And this is the context from which Peter writes this passage. And that's where we need to look at it. If you're looking for an exhaustive understanding of gender roles, you got to go to Ephesians 5 and the rest of the Bible. But today, I'm only pe- preaching on one passage right here in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. And there are things that I'm going to say, and there's things that I can't say because you just can't tackle it all in 30 minutes. You hear me? Now, Peter comes right to our doorstep. He goes from institutions to slave masters to the home. He comes right to our doorstep. He comes knocking on our door. Now it's really starting to get real. And what I'm going to say here, because the touchy, biggest, and most complicated part of this passage is this whole notion of submission. And when we talk about submission, I want you to understand that, that, that there have been some erroneous interpretations of what that means when it comes to the notion of submission. And I've seen sometimes those erroneous interpretations have fostered all kind of domestic abuse and violence, not just in secular homes, but in Christian homes. The World Health Organization notes that Research results from every country are reliable. It says large-scale studies have been conducted that reveal that 16 to 52% of women have been assaulted by an intimate partner. Violence against women, which often take place in the home, is as serious as a cause of death and incapacity among women of reproductive age as cancer. It says right here, it says, uh, tragically, domestic violence in Christian homes appears to mirror the high rates of the general society. We're not even exempt from this. Right? And so how do we navigate that? Well, I think one of the ways we navigate it is, is putting submission in its proper context and its proper, giving it a proper definition so that we walk out of here and understand what we're called to submit to and what we're not called to submit to. Now, there's two things that I want you to understand about submission. Look with me right here. It says in verse 1, it says, wives in the same way, submit yourselves. Then it says in verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Now, you got to remember when he says in the same way twice here in chapter 3, he's building on what he had already established in chapter 2. That there's a this is a kind of submission that happens in the context of a marriage that is mutual, right? It says, in the same way, submit yourself, wives. And then it says, in the husband, in the same way. He's talking about how we submit to one another. And he's saying that that submission actually goes both ways. And even though it's a mutual submission, that doesn't mean that they submit the same way. It goes both ways, but you don't submit the same way. Do you hear me? So what what do I mean by that? Um, Real simple. It says right here that for a wife that they are to submit to their husbands that if 
any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so here we see a mutual kind of submission where the wife is submitting to the husband, but there's a purpose behind that submission. And the purpose behind that submission is to be a witness to this unbelieving spouse. The spouse does, does not know the Lord. And so they are submitting themselves in a certain way that is trying to win them, that is trying to preach and proclaim the gospel to them. And so they do it in a way, never, number one, at the detriment of their own person, and never at the detriment of their own children, and definitely never at the detriment of their relationship with the Lord, but they are doing everything they can to submit to their husband in a way that brings honor and glory to God, and secondly, is bearing forth a kingdom witness to their spouse. And this is a beautiful and powerful thing that God is calling this wife who is submitted to this unsaved husband. And this is what God is calling her to. The other side of it is, is that it says husbands in the same way, be considerate to you, be, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, this is interesting because the context is a believing wife trying to witness to a believing husband, I mean, a non-believing husband. And then at the end of it, it seems to indicate that at some point, this husband may have converted, may have given his life to Jesus. And he says, now that this husband has now come to Jesus, how is he to treat this woman who is seen as the weaker vessel? So the question on the floor, and this is the one that I always wrestle with, is what does it mean that the woman is the weaker vessel? And I started pulling out commentaries and thinking through what this means. Now, <laughs> mm. you want to phrase this? <clears throat> For some, they see the weaker woman being the weaker vessel is spiritual, which I don't subscribe to that. But some, they would say, is just women are just more emotional than men, and so they reduce the weaker vessel interpretation down to uh, uh, emotion. And then for others, they reduce it down to just a simple arm wrestling match, right? That the woman is just physically weaker than the man, right? They reduce it down to just straight bench pressing. And I don't subscribe to that because when I look at the broader context of what Peter is writing, or, uh, uh, when I look at the broader context of who Peter is writing this to, I think there's something deeper here, something much deeper. You got to remember, this is not America that Peter's writing to. Peter's writing to a Greco-Roman world where women were not treated as persons, they were treated as property. And so here, Peter says to a husband who obviously has com converted in faith, he changes the whole arrangement, the whole marriage arrangement that is radically different than the Greco-Roman world. He says, treat your wives with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you. 
of the gracious gift of life. Now, you got to remember, wives in this culture um, had to adopt to their husband's faith. Uh, they were economically limited uh, because much of their income depended upon their husband. Uh, if the wife rejected the husband's faith, that would not only bring disgrace to her, but it would be, bring disgrace to him. And like I said, women weren't treated as people, they were treated as property. And so when he talks about the weaker vessel, I think where I'm going to go with this, and I think it's consistent with this verse is, is that here's this woman, here's this wife who, are, who is now living in a culture where she has a lower social status. And that's why Peter tells the husband to treat her as an heir because he's elevating her. He's raising her social status because the weakness of the woman inside of that culture is that they were treated less than human. And so when it talks about how a husband who's now come to faith can advocate for their wife, they advocate different than how the Greco-Roman world ever thought about advocating for a spouse. And that is powerful to me when I look at this context and I look at this scripture and see what I think the Bible is actually saying. So it's not reducing the relationship down to, like I said, a wrestling match, an arm wrestling match, a bench pressing contest, spiritual or any of those things. It's reducing it down to many of the social implications of a husband who has now come to Christ and they have to relate to their godly believing spouse a different way and rearrange it in a way that's different than how most marital relationships function within the Greco-Roman world. If you don't like that interpretation, email me. Let's have a cup of coffee. But I wrestled and I agonized and I can't see it any other way. Let's pause for a moment and think about that. And so you see this kind of mutual submission is radical for both. Can you imagine a husband in a Greco-Roman world treating their spouse as equal? Talking about putting your neck out on the line. In fact, I would suggest that the woman has the easier piece in this passage, if anything. And so this kind of submission is mutual, and it's difficult for both. And I'm not saying that they submit the same way, but there is submission that happens that goes both ways. And so many of us husbands, even in today's culture, when we look at how women are treated, the wages that they earn, the way they're seen and fostered in a patriarchal society like America, what kind of social justice and advocacy are we doing for women? See, this, the Bible calls all of us to the carpet, right? And women, how are you living and laying down your life in a way that honors and tries to bring your unsaved husband back to Jesus or to Jesus? Now, this kind of mutual submission is also not just mutual, it's what's the right it's voluntary. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
It says this. Listen to this kind of submission. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Here it is. Live as free people. Look at somebody and say, live as free people. Come on, you ever been to a black church? Look at somebody and say, live as free people. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. But do not use your freedom, meaning you have freedom, and live free. But don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And so this kind of submission is voluntary and sacrificial in nature. And if it's not, then it ain't submission, it's surrender. And God is not calling you surrender, he's calling you submission. And submission, biblically, is voluntary. Where you live as free people, free-thinking people. And this this is why in verse 5 where it talks about, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves, they submitted themselves to their husband like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You are, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Do you understand? Women feared men all the time in the Greco-Roman world. And Peter says, don't fear because you're free because you're doing this thing voluntarily. And this is the one piece that I do appreciate about Christianity I have to do a little bit more research, but one of the things that I do think about Christianity that it did for the modern world is that it gave it a space for conscience. And it gave a space for conscience to women who are voluntarily serving their spouse without fear, which means they got a mind they can think on their own. And whatever they do, they do as a way to honor Christ as they lay down their life to serve their unsaved spouse to be a kingdom witness to them. And so this kind of submission is not just mutual, it's voluntary. And that is the beauty and power of the gospel because it does two things. It submits, and because it has a conscience, it subverts. It submits, and yet it subverts. It's like Dr. King right? He submitted to the systems of America, and yet he saw the errors of the system, and he subverted them. And the way he subverted them was not through hate, it was through love. It was through nonviolent, passive resistance. He did it subversively. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, submit to your non-believing spouse but do it in a way that it's subversive, that it's different, that it's counterintuitive. And how is it counterintuitive? Look what he says. He says, don't breathe in the air that the culture breathes in. He says this, when you see, when they see the purity and reverence of your, well, let's back up. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your husband. If any of, you, any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words by the behavior of their wife. When they see the purity and reverence of your life, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
He's calling them to radical submission, but radical subversion because the culture puts so much stock on the physical appearance, and Peter goes the other way. And it's not that the scriptures is against jewelry and braided hair or fine clothes or any of that stuff. Read Proverbs 31. Look at the Proverbs 31 one. Read Songs of Solomon. Them women could get geared up. (laughs) They took care of themselves. They looked fly. But that wasn't the true essence of who they were. That wasn't the essence of their being. We live in a culture where we objectify women. Just go to a grocery store, stand in line. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Just watch TV today and see who becomes popular. Not on any kind of substance, but just on gossip and beauty. And yet, God is calling us, and not just women, but men, to live subversive in the culture. Do not put all of your stock and self-worth into your beauty because that will fade. I just got last weekend I played uh, in this 45 to 60, 45 to 55-year-old league. Uh, uh, uh. And God is God is cold-blooded. <laughs> Because he takes away your skills, but he doesn't take away your memory. And so somebody put a move on me, and I remember I used to blow by these kind of guys. But my body just don't, it won't let me blow by him anymore. And so when you read the scripture, when you read the scriptures, Constantly, it is, this, this book is about suffering. And what is one of Peter's main admonitions to us, right? Is the contrast between the temporal and the eternal, right? The city of God, the physical city and the spiritual city, right? The physical body and the eternal gifts and beauty of the human soul that God places within us, the incorruptible seed of Jesus that shapes and forms our character in a way that is counter to the culture around it and becomes a sweet-smelling aroma in the culture. It becomes a powerful witness because it's different. I coach girls' basketball, and we have talks And they laugh at me because I tell every one of them, save yourself for marriage. And they don't get that. It don't register. But that's where I am. They think it's impossible to save yourself for marriage. I say, you want to be beautiful? You want to be different on this campus, sister girl? Let me tell you how to be different. Save yourself. You will be instantly different. You will be even more attractive. Because... You are now putting your stock on stuff that's internal and beautiful that will last and endure. Y'all hear me this morning? So, if you find yourself married to an unbelieving spouse. Are you up for the challenge? 
Are you up for the challenge to be mutually submitted to your spouse and to live subversively in that home? That doesn't mean you drink all the Kool-Aid. That doesn't mean you, you don't remove yourself from an abusive situation. You always. That doesn't mean that you let your kids be treated awfully. And it definitely doesn't mean that you let it get in the way of your relationship with Christ where there your spouse is calling you to do stuff to, that, that goes contrary to the scriptures. No, I am not saying that at all. But God is calling you to live in a pagan culture as a believer that is willing to live counterintuitive, subversively, to do what the culture isn't doing. And how do I do that? How do we do that? Whatever society tells you to do, do the opposite. Whatever is the hardest for you to do spiritually, do that. And this is what God has called us to. Let's pray as we go to the communion table. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. We don't live as subversive as we should because we don't know what biblical submission is. And you call us to do both. If we find ourselves in a home and our spouse is an unbeliever, help us to lay down our life for that spouse. And if we find ourselves having come to faith, may we see the pressures, the oppression that women face even in our midst. Who don't have the, the same privileges and social status as us men, who function sometimes as the weaker vessel here in this society. But yet in the kingdom of God, you call us to be different, to treat women different, to honor them, to elevate them, to serve them, to lay our lives down for them in redeeming ways. to be a kingdom witness in how we treat them. And so today, I pray, God, that you would waken our eyes to those issues, that we would be allies and advocates for women in society who live inside of a patriarchal system that oftentimes relegates them to the sidelines and pushes them to the margins we pray, God, that you would open us as men's eyes to that reality. That we would have the courage and fortitude as men, godly men, to subvert that. And today, as we come to the communion table, Lord, there ain't nobody that lived this truth who submitted to the Father and lived subversively in the world than you who went to the cross, who could have called down 10,000 angels to rescue him, but subversively goes to the cross innocently and dies. And you call us to die and live 
the way you live. And so today, as we come to the communion table and partake of the bread and wine, Lord, may you beat in us, ingrain in us the ability to submit one to another and to live subversively in this part of the city. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.